Hold up. Hello and welcome to this episode of Outside the Box Score. My name is Jonathan Michael. I will be your host. My co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, will be joining us in just a minute. Yes, you may remember us as the sports wrap-up, but we made a little change, a little pivot as we continue to grow and expand. We wanted to better highlight what we talk about, what our mission is, and how we think. We like to think outside the box and outside the box score of sports. We love the games. We love covering the games, but we also understand that sports is a part of culture. It's a business, and we cover it from those perspectives as well as the box scores and the stats and the numbers that come along with it. So we felt that the name and the updated cover art are a better message and a better, uh, honestly, marketing. So we love it. We're excited about it. Along with that, new Twitter handles at JM. OTB pod at MT OTB pod. So we have that to match and go nice and synchronized with our name. Also, this podcast is made possible in part by Rakuten. Rakuten, if you have not heard of it, is a rebate cash back service. You go ahead and visit Rakuten.com and you sign up. And what happens next? You shop at the places that you already shop. Kohl's, Nike, Groupon, they're all on there. They're all partners. Just for shopping, just for buying the things that you already buy, you're going to get cash back. And if you sign up with our special link in the description, you can get $10 just for signing up. No risk, nothing, no strings attached. Just sign up, buy what you're already going to buy, be logged in, and you're set to go getting cash back. And it will certainly be helpful in a time like this where money can be tight. So check it out. Go ahead and visit Rakuten.com to get started today. And that's just about it. We are going to get into the content here. New name, same great content. We're going to get into our first quarter and talk about Aaron Rodgers being left off PFF's top 50 list. Pro Football Focus, they're a data company, they're a numbers company, they say women lie, men lie, but numbers don't lie, they focus on that, and they made a top 50 list of NFL players of all positions, and Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest of all time, a first ballot Hall of Famer, someday to be, was left off this list. Now, when it comes to top 50 players in the NFL, I certainly disagree with this. Aaron Rodgers is a top 15 player for sure. Many argue he could be a top five player, and I wouldn't push back much on that. I have the Packers as number seven in my power rankings of the NFL for one reason, Aaron Rodgers. I can't really argue with pro football focus, and their logic. Aaron, according to their data, according to their numbers, was the 17th best quarterback after week eight, a significant drop-off from his past performances. This is not an anomaly. ESPN, QBR, 20th for the entire season, even lower than pro football focus. So while I understand 
why he was left off. I may disagree, but I understand. But it's left me wondering how we got to where we are. Aaron Rodgers, no longer a top 50 player based on the numbers. They've drafted his successor in Jordan Love, whether that's a year, two years, three years. It's coming sooner than later. But how do we get here? How does a first ballot Hall of Famer at the relatively young age of 37, 37 is the new 27, right? With all the diet, nutrition, everything that's available to athletes these days, Aaron is relatively young. Tom Brady wants to play till he's 45. Drew Brees is playing at age 42 this season. He's got plenty more left in the tank. And I think there's two distinct reasons, two distinct explanations for how we got here. You've heard the saying, there's always going to be someone more talented than you. And I think that's true for most of us. It may be true for Aaron as well, but Aaron has thrived on his talent alone. He's been so magical and so unbelievable at the quarterback position. He has all the intangibles, all those things that you can't explain, all those unbelievable plays, those clutch moments. But because of that, he never really took the time or made the effort to develop the tangibles. If you're a great salesperson, if you're a great lawyer, if you're a great doctor, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're great at what you do, but you don't have that tangible ability to show up for work because you're sick all the time, I'm a company I can't really employ you because you're not showing up and doing your job. You may be the best at what you do, but you don't have that tangible ability. And Aaron has never shown the ability to communicate, the ability to connect with people, to be a people person. He's always just led by his pure intangibles on the field. So now, as his numbers decline, as he gets older, or whether it's adapting to a new system, he doesn't connect with people. He doesn't have the trust of his coaches. He doesn't have the trust of his front office. So they draft somebody new. They call plays differently. They look at him differently because he's unable to connect on that person-to-person level. And that leads me to the second thing that is damaging to Aaron Rodgers at this time in his career. And these things are fixable, by the way. They can be fixed. Your greatest strength is often your greatest weakness. Aaron Rodgers' greatest strength, or one of them, is his intellect. He's smart. He sees things faster than most people do. He sees the next play on the field. He gets frustrated with people because they're not as smart as him. But it's also his greatest weakness. It makes him unable to connect with people. It takes him out of good graces, and it makes his leash much shorter. People who have a good relationship with others don't often get pushed to the side so quickly when their talent declines. But Aaron, that intellect, that smarts, his intellectual thought process, he's aloof. He's kind of a cat compared to your dog, your golden retriever. He's always there, always there to have fun with you, having a fun time, love you, always be there for you. He's kind of a cat, kind of does his own thing. There's nothing wrong with that until that great strength, that great intelligence becomes a weakness. And you know people like this, the great salesperson. You have a friend who is a salesperson. 
greatest salesperson that there is. You admire his ability. But it's also kind of hard to have a real conversation with him because, you know, sales, very full of marketing, speak. They kind of have a complicated relationship with the truth because their work leaks over into their personal life. Or perhaps the doctor or the lawyer or any professional that's working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, they got all the money. They're doing everything great. They have a phenomenal career. But they're not able to pay attention to their personal life, their relationships, their social life. And that loops back and becomes their greatest weakness in their career because they're hurting outside of work and their focus is detracted. Aaron has the opportunity to fix these things this season. I'm very optimistic about it. He can build tangible skills. The showing up, the saying the quote-unquote right thing that the teammates and the players and the coaches want to hear. Compliment his coaches. Compliment his general manager. Do the things that make you a team player because that's what Aaron needs to become as he can no longer rely purely on his athletic abilities. It's time to bring in the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing today, Marv? Hey, what's up, Jonathan? I'm doing great. How you doing? Couldn't be better, man. Happy to be doing this here with you. The weather's getting better. We're getting closer to the NBA. We're getting closer to the NFL. It's a great time to be alive, my friend. I have some questions for you. Aaron Rodgers was left off the top 50 list on pffprofootballfocus.com. Now, I understand why this is. Still, to me, Aaron Rodgers is a top 15 player in the NFL for sure. But I see two things when I ask myself, how did we get here? Aaron Rodgers was always the most talented. He was always the uh, cream of the crop, and now he's not anymore. And he never took the time to to develop tangible skills, to connect with his teammates and do all that. And he's very intellectual. Uh, and that's not always been the best thing for him. It's kind of his greatest strength. It's why he's so smart, so good on the field, so well-spoken, but it also has put him at odds with his teammates, coaches, et cetera, sometimes. So my question is for you, Marv, is it the degradation of his skills the problem? Could it be the team and the fit in Green Bay as the problem with the new offense? And And how do you see this meshing together and the Green Bay Packers doing this season? You know what? I paid close attention to the Packers last year because, of course, as you recall, uh, I predicted them to finish last in the NFC North. So that didn't happen because I had a feeling that the play was going to fall off a little bit because it was a new system, new players, uh, young defense. I wasn't feeling Green Bay last year. Well, so happens Green Bay outperformed my expectations but Rodgers' numbers fell off. Uh, it wasn't as great as we thought it would be. It wasn't the same Rodgers we're used to seeing. He struggled in um, big-time games. And, of course, his numbers, as we mentioned, took a big hit. Uh, I don't think Rodgers' skill set is diminishing yet. I mean, he is getting up there in age. But I think it was just a product of him being in a brand-new system. Possibly he didn't take it as serious as he should have. But I think this this new offseason, during this offseason, as he's been able to stay home and uh, do all the virtual meetings and possibly practice with teammates maybe in secret locations like other quarterbacks are doing, I think Rodgers is going to come back with a, with a bang this year. 
possible uh, comeback player of the year type candidate. He's going to, I think it just takes this system is very complex for certain quarterbacks to learn. It's a zone blocking scheme offense, a lot of play action, which we would think that Roger's skill set would fit it perfectly, which it does. But he is, you know, a bit cocky. He thinks, you know, he can do everything and complete any pass he throws. Now, he's going to have to learn to be able to play within the system this year. And I think once Rodgers learns to do that, and now that he has a a quarterback that got drafted in the first round sitting behind him, I think his play is going to elevate. He's going to play with more, uh, more hunger. He's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. He's going to show, or at least try to show Green Bay, that he still got it, that he is Aaron Rodgers, the Aaron Rodgers we've known to grown to love, the guy that's won MVPs and Super Bowls in the past, that same Aaron Rodgers. And I, as he does that, the Packers will still continue to contend this year. All they did was add pieces to the puzzle. Uh, they were the second seed, if I'm not mistaken, in the NFC last year. And I think with the players they added to the team, I think they're going to take a step forward and possibly compete again for the NFC title. It all really depends on Aaron Rodgers and if he continues to mesh well with the players that are being placed around him and the offense has been, you know, put in place for him to succeed. So we'll see how that happens. But I do think that the Packers will be, uh, they'll be contenders this year and they won't be pretenders. I'm with you there. I have the Packers starting the season. Schedule aside, just roster, quarterback, coach, all of that bundled into one package. Packers are number seven on my power rankings, and I see a bright future for them going forward. Aaron just has so much equity, and he should have more equity with the team, but he he doesn't. That Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers connection, I see as part of the problem, Marv, and I don't know if you see that. It's his unwillingness to buy into the system. He wants to make every throw, as you said, and he wants to ad-lib Greg Cassell, NFL Films veteran, the head honcho over there. Guy watches film for the last 40 years, so he knows what he's talking about. He calls Aaron Rodgers the ultimate jazz musician. He likes to improvise. He likes to do what Aaron likes to do. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with the, the idea that there's always going to be someone smarter than you. There's always going to be someone better than you. And for Aaron... It's not as true as it is for me and you, Marv, and most of our listeners, because he's been the most talented, but most of us have to really take that to heart. But it is a, an attitude, a certain level of humility that at some times that he lacks. So when you say he's going to do better this season, you really think Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur are going to mesh together? Who's going to kind of, because this is the way I see it. It's kind of like a battle between the two. Who's going to maintain the upper hand? LaFleur wants his system. He sees the future. He's planning for the future in his career. And Jordan Love is a part of that. And Aaron's saying, "Uh uh-uh, this is my team. This is Green Bay. I am Green Bay. I'm Aaron Rodgers. People love me here. You think they'll coincide or who gets the upper hand here? I think they'll coincide. Um, As I've seen in the past, this normally ends up being, it's a veteran quarterback versus a young up-and-coming coach. And, of course, like you mentioned, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's basically one of the big faces in the NFL. Matt McFlore is just trying to make a name for himself and build his resume in Green Bay. So 
I think they're going to come to a middle ground and try to make it work. Because if they don't make it work, then it's going to be, they're going to have a nasty divorce. And Aaron Rodgers is going to end up getting released or traded or whatever, not go his way. And Matt LaFleur will be happy to probably start his young quarterback in uh, Jordan Love. And then that's going to be what's going to end up happening. And history is going to repeat itself. And so I know at the end of the day, it might be inevitable from happening. It's probably going to happen eventually. But Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to come to his senses and he's going to going to listen a little bit closer to what coach has to say. I would hope so, because I would think that would work the best. There's a lot to gain from Aaron Rodgers buying into the system. While I agree with you when you said that his skills are not greatly diminished, anyone who's 37 from when they're 25 as a quarterback, their skills are going to be slightly diminished, at least physically. And Aaron relies heavily on his physical skills. And the marriage of this system and Aaron Rodgers could be a beautiful thing if he lets it be that. It is a unique situation, one thing to point out. It's not often you see a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers paired with a really young coach like Matt LaFleur. Usually look at Dallas. They grab an older veteran coach to pair with a quarterback who has experience. He's not as old as Aaron, but I mean, Matt LaFleur is only a couple of years older than Aaron. It's kind of like a brother relationship, which makes it kind of, kind of strange. It'll be interesting to see how that goes, but I would like to agree with you, Marv, that they will get together, they'll work it out, it'll it'll become harmonious. But don't you see a possibility of Aaron just being like, just let me go. You, you drafted the next guy. I'm kind of over it here. I've always been this coastal intellectual stuck in middle America, Green Bay, where they're you know big into their beer and their Bibles. And there's nothing wrong with, with that. They're just two different styles of life. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying they're not a match. Do you think that there's any chance that Aaron's just like, nah, I'm, kinda, I'm out, bro? I think Aaron feels he owes it to the fans. He, he himself knows he had a down year. If he thinks that he didn't, then he's kidding himself. But I'm sure he, he, he feels deep down inside that he's let the fans down this last year. And this year, I think he's going to come out, like I said, with a chip on his shoulder. He's going to play balls out. He's going to kill it. And it's going to go back to being the Aaron Rodgers that we all expected. I kind of see it that way. I see the possibility of him being like, no, nah, I'm out, man. I'm done. But you bring up a great point. It's an ego thing. He is a quarterback. He is an alpha. And he's going to make it work this season. Because he's a great player. He's an all-time great. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So he's going to figure out how to make it work. They had the power struggle last year. And to me, I think he kind of lost that power struggle to an extent. I still think it's pretty even. But they both realize, hey, if we want to take it to the next level, it's time to become harmonious, get this thing worked out. And for Green Bay fans, for Aaron Rodgers, for Matt LaFleur, I think the future is very bright. Just surprising to see him left off the top 50 list. Let's get into our second quarter and talk about the NBA resuming its season. Big exciting news last week. The NBA will finally be returning. If you're not familiar with the return plan, I'll break down the basics for you. 22 teams will be returning, playing for 
the normal 16 spots. They'll play eight regular season games. There will be a potential play-in tournament for the eighth seed, which will add excitement. They'll be playing at Disney. And I really like the plan. I'm excited about it, but I do have my concerns. Nothing is going to be perfect. I understand that. And the commissioner, Adam Silver, and the owners and the players have all shown an ability and willingness to be flexible, adapt, and change. And I do believe that that is going to be very important going forward. One of the biggest problems that I have with this plan is the resumption date. It will be July 31st. I think that's too late. And I've heard a lot of takes talking about competing with the NFL. And that's important to take into account. And I believe that to be accurate, it's going to be bad for their numbers to compete with the NFL, at least potentially if LeBron is playing maybe not so much. He certainly draws the numbers in the eyeballs. But July 31st, why are we waiting so long? What is the holdup? We have more testing in the United States for coronavirus. We have a decreased number testing positive. We have an, what I would call an upward trend, a positive trend for the NBA to be able to resume safely, which is the most important thing. But there's no guarantees. We've heard a lot about the second wave. More things to come in the fall. Well, the new plan has them playing well into the fall, into September, perhaps October. So you mean to tell me that we're going to wait almost two months from when the plan was announced to go ahead and play? That doesn't seem wise to me. That doesn't seem like you're adapting to the news every day. Again, I'm not poo-pooing safety. That should be the most important thing. But who's to say we don't start July 31st, resume the NBA, and then second wave comes and they can't finish? We have the testing for everyone to get a test who wants it almost everywhere in this country right now. Positives are down. Cases may be up because we're doing a lot of testing. But if these guys are isolated and safe, what are they waiting for? The MLS, Major League Soccer, here in the U.S., has a plan to return July 8th. Soccer throughout the world is resumed or will be resuming. And what happens if a player in the NBA tests positive for COVID-19? What do you do then? It's going to be further delayed. You need to build in some sort of buffer zone here, some sort of contingencies, some worst case scenarios if the league is once again delayed due to testing positive or a second wave. Now, could they have waited or should they have waited until June? End of June? That makes sense. Mid-July? Makes sense. Let's wait and see what happens and play it day to day. But there should be in this deal the ability to come back sooner as things get better. The ability to adapt. Jeff Bezos started Amazon as a books store selling books. What if he was like, nah, I just sell books. I'm not really interested in 
like expanding or changing or anything. Or, or Mark Cuban, when he made his fortune, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, the internet wasn't really a big thing. He was one of the first on the internet. What if he's like, eh, I don't really know about the internet and stuff. Not a lot of people use that right now. I think I'm going to look to something else. I'm going to become a scholar or a doctor or something else that really smart people do. These guys changed and adapt. They saw the future. They saw that the future was more than books. They saw the future was the internet. And my fear is the NBA will be unwilling to adapt this plan and they'll be unable to finish it. They're so concerned with timing. If you were to time the market, if you were to invest $10,000 in 1980, and you were trying to play around, get in, get out of the stock market, bonds, options, whatever it may be. If you invested it in January 1st, 1980, if you missed the best 10 days, your portfolio was cut in more than half. If you were in all days in the market on the average return, $708,000. If you missed 10 days, only $341,000. Miss 50 days, $62,000. That $700,000 becomes $62,000. I think the NBA is becoming too concerned with optics. They're becoming too concerned with trying to time the market, and they're being too conservative in their plan. I've applauded them for what they've done so far. They've been smart. They've been safe. They've been cautious. They should continue to do all those things. But Delaying the start for another two months as the data continues to trend positive may end up being a huge mistake. Now, Marv, in the NBA and their plan to come back, I'm really excited. I like the plan. I thought they were very thoughtful in how they did it. But I think that they thought a little bit too hard about it. They're a little too concerned with optics, a little bit too concerned with public opinion. The MLS is starting July 8th. Uh, this virus is something that we're going to have to live with for a while until we get a vaccine. So my contention is that if you're going to start, do it safely, which they're doing, but you got to get on with it. You got to do it. From the day that they announced to the day that they start, which is July 31st, it's almost two months in between. That would be the big change that I would make. Uh, But when you look at this plan, Marv, are there any big changes you would make? You know, I've sat here and, and gone over many scenarios as I've looked at the plan for the NBA to come back on July 31st. And I really thought they should have, as you said, they should have started off earlier, maybe a week after July 8th on the 15th of July. And that way things would have been done quicker. As you mentioned, we're still dealing with this pandemic and the coronavirus. And I think the sooner they, they could get those guys in there and out of there, I think would have been better. I also thought I didn't like that they were doing 22 teams, 13 teams in the Western Conference, nine teams in the East. I think that's kind of a little bit lopsided. I thought originally they should have did maybe 20 teams and did um, about 10 teams from each conference with the final four teams playing off, having like a little playoff to get into the eighth seed. And then that team, those that team that would have won out, those teams that would have won out would have, of course, made it into the A seed, and then we would start the playoffs, and then have the other teams possibly play about four games instead of the whole eight games each team is going to be playing. 
I'm still trying to figure out how they're going to pull off the the eight-game schedule because the NBA has yet to release the, a schedule for the those eight games, which I'm really curious to see how they're going to do that. But overall, if I had to you know, give a, a straight answer, I do like what they're doing. They're trying to bring excitement uh, back to the NBA. It's going to be very interesting to see how they pull this off. Uh, will the games be in the morning? Will the games be in the afternoon, in the evening? Uh, will they have back-to-back games? All that plays a big factor. Uh, how they, you know, how soon they can get this finished. That way, we can start up and get ready for the next season. And then by next season, then of course they'll be a little bit more prepared for what's coming up with the COVID. And hopefully, we have a vaccine by by mid by next season. One NBA should have they should have thought about starting it a little earlier. And two. I'm still on the fence about the format, but I think it's it's good for, for the fans. Well, Marv, there's a couple reasons I can tell you why I can fill in the blanks here, why it is 22 teams and why it is nine from the East and 13 from the West. There's that guy, uh, Zion Williamson, with a big smile and the star power. He's sitting outside the top eight in the West, and they wanted to make it a little bit less obvious as to why they were extending it. There's also another reason that I see them extending the number of teams because they need to make up revenue. Of course, they want to put on as many games as possible. And I use the market analogy or a market analogy coming into this. If you miss just the 10 best days in the stock market over the last 40 years, your portfolio was worth half. And the NBA is trying to kind of get into this market, get back into the space of entertainment And they're trying to sit on the fence and also get the most profit at the same time. They're trying to be like out of the market, but in the market at the same time. We got to wait two months until we play. Oh, and we want the most games possible. My point is that the NBA needs to adapt. They need to be able to to have an adaption plan. Yes, they voted that they could play on July 31st. But what if we get through the beginning of June here into the, the end of June and the states are looking good? Heck, only Florida, only Disneyland needs to look good and safe for them because that's where they're going to be. They're going to have testing. They're going to have medical facilities. And we know who this virus affects. It affects those that are more on the unhealthy side with pre-existing conditions, older people. The numbers are when 100,000 people had been listed as dying of COVID-19, it was something like 80% were senior citizens. One-third were over 85 So these numbers that we know a lot more about it than we did, and they need to be cautious, but they can't be playing both sides. They need to be able to adapt. Now, Marv, what do you think about an adaption plan? And is this a possibility from your viewpoint with the NBA be able to make an impromptu vote? Or what do you know about that? I haven't heard anything really about an adaption plan, but I'm sure the NBA has worked on fallback plans and plan A, B, and C, similar to what the NFL has with contingency plans in case certain things happen. We would hope the NBA has gone through every single scenario in case, let's say, one of their star players gets sick. Uh, I did hear today uh, a, a Woj mention uh, players in the NBA PA are also looking to um, 
maybe start the season a day earlier, which would be July 30th. I don't know how big of a difference that would make, but they're looking to try to start a little earlier. Also, they are looking to also extend the roster size or expand it so teams can carry more players in case certain players aren't able to make this trip over. Teams can add other players to their team just in case, you know, players get sick. So those are little things here and there that the NBA is dropping tidbits, you know, every day leading up to this uh, restart of the league. And hopefully, you know, they were able to successfully pull this off and we get some healthy uh, basketball on TV again. You mentioned contingency plans. I'm sure that they've gone over everything. This is not meant to be entirely a criticism of the NBA. It's that they need to look to adapt because they have a good plan in place, but a plan that could quickly go wrong, could quickly go bad. If you start too late, you try to squeeze all these games in, could get somebody sick, a star player sick, like you mentioned, and have to de- to uh, delay it. If it's the Lakers and the Bucks in the finals and Giannis or LeBron gets sick, you're going to have to wait because it's just not going to feel the same. And they're already playing into October as it stands. And there could be a second wave coming and putting more people at risk of getting it and more delays. And you got to start next season, as you mentioned. We're asking the NBA, just be willing to adapt. Good plan. Love Adam Silver. Love what they're doing. Love that they're being safe and cautious. But you can't have a bunch of games and delay it much further. Let's get into our third quarter. We're going to go across the nation from east to west. This week, we're on the NFC East. We did the AFC East last week. It is our eight-week segment predicting the NFL future, the division winners. Here we go. In the NFC East, bringing up the rear, I have the Giants at 1-15. and Yes, 1-15. and that may sound crazy. I have a much higher opinion of the Giants than their record. I like Daniel Jones. I like Joe Judge coming in and bringing that Patriot culture. Believe it's going to be very successful in the future, but I'm doing this by their schedule, breaking it down game by game. This team got a really bad shake. They're going to be playing Seattle. Then they're going to play the Ravens. They play San Francisco. They play Tampa Bay. They play at Chicago. And the teams that they can beat on the schedule, they go on the road. They go to Los Angeles to play the Rams across the country. They go to Cincinnati, who I think will be at a lower level against the Giants, a very tough team to beat at home. So I go down the schedule and I can't find any wins. So Giants, 1-15. I don't think they're that bad, but they're going to have a rough season, but a bright future. Next up, the Redskins, 5-11. and Many of you may be surprised. I'm not that big of a fan of Dwayne Haskins anymore, but I like what Ron Rivera brings and what this team has for at least the immediate future. They do have talent and they will get a shot of adrenaline from Ron Rivera. Don't see him as a long-term answer. I think he's kind of an outdated style, an outdated coach, but he brings a culture. He brings a tone. He brings seriousness to a franchise that's been uh, in disarray for such a long time. And their schedule is just simply easier than the Giants. They get Cincinnati at home. They get the Rams at home. They're going to play the Panthers, the team that Ron Rivera got fired from. They're going to play the Panthers. They're going to really want to win that game, and they're going to be at home. 
They get the Giants once. I think they're going to beat the Giants. Those two teams will split. So I have, based on the schedule, 5-11. and 11. Next, Cowboys. Cowboys are going to do Cowboys things. It would be too perfect to be 8-8, eight and eight, so I do have them at 9-7. and seven. Going game by game, look, they're going to beat up on the teams that they should beat, the teams that they beat last season, but they play at Seattle, at Minnesota, at Baltimore. These are tough defenses. Dak is going to do what Dak does. He's going to shine against the lesser teams, against the Giants, against the Redskins. They're going to run through their division. They'll probably beat the Eagles at least once, but he's not going to be able to perform. And that defense is not going to be able to stop Lamar Jackson in Baltimore or Russell Wilson in Seattle. It's going to be ugly in a few games for them. Nine and seven, that defense is going to give up plenty of points. And to bring home the division title, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are the class of the NFC if Carson Wentz can stay healthy. That is a big if, and I'm making that assumption that he can play at least 14 games this season. If Carson Wentz is there, they added Marquise Goodwin. They traded from him from San Francisco. He is a burner. He adds speed on the outside that they needed. They added Jalen Rieger in the first round of the draft out of TCU. They gave Carson Wentz the weapons that he needs, and they added Darius Slay on the defensive end At cornerback, he may be one of the best lockdown corners in the NFL right now. They didn't have any corners last year. So they made the playoffs last season. They won the division. They went nine and seven. I see several games of improvement, 11 and five. Fly, Eagles fly. They take home the NFC East title. Marv, you heard my breakdown. Where do we agree? Where do we disagree? All righty. So our first two teams that we agree with are the Eagles and the Cowboys. We have identical records for the Cowboys and then the Eagles. I have them winning one less game. So we're, we're basically on on the same boat with those two teams. Now this is where it gets a little tricky for us. See, I have the giants going six and 10. I just feel, even though, you know, with all the things you mentioned, I think the giants will win some games where, cause they have star power on offense. They have, Saquon Barkley, uh, Jones is going to be in the second year. Uh, they have a great new coaching staff, which I admire coming from New England. Joe Judge is the new head coach. I uh, believe they also signed the Cowboys' old head coach uh, to be their offensive coordinator. And he's really he, – I think he's a much better offensive coordinator than he is a head coach. So I like, I like what they're doing there out there in New York. Okay. I got the Redskins – to a big surprise, going two and fourteen. I just don't see the Redskins making any strides. I mean, they added the the top talent in the draft, which was uh young out of Ohio State, monster defensive end. He's gonna be a beast for years to come. He's a hometown boy. He went to DeMatha High School, killed it there. So it's really nice to have, you know, some hometown guys represent the team. But I don't think he's going to be enough for the Redskins to continue to move forward and win games. Uh, Dwayne Haskins showed me a little bit, but he didn't show me enough to say, well, he's going to continue to progress in the right direction in the year two. I hope he does. But I just don't see it right now with the weapons they have. They have Sprinkle, a tight end. They, the Redskins didn't even care to upgrade their tight end position, which lacked star power last year. The Redskins starting wide receiver is Terry McLaurin. He's a nice receiver, but I don't think he's a number one receiver. I thought the Redskins should have went out 
and grabbed another top receiver to put next to Terry McCord. Terry, uh, his first couple of games was unstoppable, but once teams started learning how to stop him, he became invisible, and he's he's more like a second receiver. So, also they got rid of their best offensive lineman and Trent uh, Williams at left tackle, and they also have a big hole in left guard. So I just don't see this team coming together and winning more than two games. But, hey, if they go 2-14, and 14, they have a really good chance of getting a franchise quarterback that plays in Clemson named Trevor Lawrence. And then the Redskins could look like a team to be reckoned with. Marv, if these teams were investments for the long term, I'd be on board with you because I look at coach. Joe Judge is less proven than Ron Rivera but I'm going to roll the dice on his upside. I like Joe Judge better than Ron Rivera. Daniel Jones, I like him better than Dwayne Haskins. So I see where you're coming from. I am breaking it down strictly by the schedule, and I cannot find wins on the Giants' schedule. They have Saquon Barkley. They have Daniel Jones, who I think will be improved. And they have Joe Judge bringing a culture, all of which I like. But the rest of the team... Show me the talent on the defense. Uh, Ingram is hit or miss on the offense at tight end. The receiving uh, core is, eh, I don't know who's there. I mean, I really don't. Somebody that's going to make a difference. Do they still have Golden Tate? Do they not? I don't know. I don't care because they're, it's, you get my point. There's not a lot going on there. So I just, it, uh, I just broke it down by saying the Ravens, San Francisco, Tampa, Chicago, Cowboys, Eagles. Where are the wins, man? I cannot find the wins. So I'm going to give you agreement with the Giants being a better team in practice in in two years from now. But this season, that little shot in the arm that is Ron Rivera, sometimes there are culture builders that you need. When you haven't eaten in a long time, a corn dog is like a steak, man. It's awesome. Ron Rivera is maybe a corn dog of a coach. No offense to Ron and what he's done over the years. I just see his style as militaristic. presence not being kind of the wave of the future, kind of like John Fox when they brought him in with the Bears, a great coach of the past. But for the future, there's a reason that the team before the Broncos for John Fox and Ron Rivera, the Panthers had moved off him because the world is moving to a different place and he's not exactly there. And he's had a great career and been to a Super Bowl and been a great defensive coordinator and a great player for the Bears. Love Ron Rivera. Just think it's kind of up for him. Do you think that's fair, Marv, schedule as opposed to team? Yep. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I was just basing off just – I didn't base it off like, you know, the teams they're playing, but basing more off a roster. So I see where you're, where you're yeah, coming that's from. That's where we get agreement there. Uh, Giants, I'll take them in the future. Redskins just seem to have a better one-year outlook. And who knows? If you're right, Marv, that outlook with Trevor Lawrence – That's going to look a whole lot better. Let's get into our fourth quarter as we do our patented quick hitter segment. We're going to go through the news in the leagues, NBA, NFL. Here we go. Dalvin Cook is now refusing to show up to the Vikings training camp. He's Set to make a million dollars this year. Says that's not enough. I'm too much of the offense. Give me a contract or give me a trade. Your thoughts, Marv? 
See, I love Dalvin Cook being a Florida State alumni, but he got to be out of his mind. This kid has not played a full season, and he's already asking for top running back money. I'd give that a hard pass. He needs to come out, play a full season healthy, and then we could talk contract. That's just my thoughts on that. I love Dalvin Cook, and I understand where he's coming from, saying, hey, I'm worth a lot more than a million dollars. And he might be. His performance might be. But we've seen this story before. We saw it with Melvin Gordon last year. Yeah, Melvin, we like you, but that's too expensive. And to your point, Marv, he's injured all the time. Melvin Gordon was not. Ryan Madison, his backup, averages 4.6 yards. Dalvin Cook averages 4.5 yards. He is in a tough market right now. Being a running back, it's a devalued position, very replaceable. So even though he's a fantastic running back, not worth it. I'm I'm with you, Marv. Hard pass. Trade him or make him come back, one or the other. Not my problem. What are you going to say? And guess what? He's playing for uh, Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak makes running backs. <laughs> so if uh, Dalvin Cook wants to play the Vikings hand, they'll say, all right, no problem. We'll get Madison to play. And Madison will go out there and put up the same numbers. That zone blocking scheme makes wonders with whatever running back. As long as the running back can make that one cut, that zone blocking scheme, he's going to get monster numbers. So he's making a big mistake if he wants to play chicken with the Vikings at this point in his career. Yeah, he would really hurt his value unless they could make a trade early on and somebody give him an extension, which is highly unlikely. But he may face the same fate as Melvin Gordon if he's not careful. Melvin Gordon's value on the market was severely diminished when uh, Austin Eckler came in and played just as well as he did. He not only had to come back with his tail between his legs after missing several weeks and several paychecks, but it also hurt his market value the next year. We've seen the strategy. It doesn't work. He should come back to camp at least by week one. Marv, the NFL is reopening facilities to players after having coaches back for a few weeks. Is this a smart move? I do like the move. Uh, get them in as soon as possible, as long as they're safe out there. Uh, the NFL did set out some rules. Um, of course, they're kind of a little silly, ticky-tacky, but they have to set the rules to make it look like, you know, they're making sure everyone is doing the right thing to stay healthy. And I, I like it. Um, NFL is different from NBA, whereas NFL, these guys have to learn the playbook, and then they go got to go out there and practice those plays and learn each and every one of those routes and plays, which is a lot to to basically digest. For a rookie, for example. So as soon as they can open up those facilities and get those guys in there with the coaches, that's going to be great for the uh, product that the NFL wants to put out this uh, this season. We've got to open up at some point. they got to get back to it. This is a group that is not at high risk. They need to open up with safety and security like the rest of the country is doing, wearing masks when they're working out, staying six feet apart. But uh, this virus is something that we're going to have to live with until there's a uh, not a cure, but a vaccine. And that's not coming till the beginning of 2021. People realize that they need to get on with their lives or else we're going to be living in poverty and whatever else. Um, Be careful, but I'm a big fan of them reopening. Next, news from the NBA. Shams, 
He is the uh, other than Woj. He is the guy on Twitter. So we'll we'll keep the news coming from coming for you guys. But if you don't know Shams, he's a big Twitter uh, leaker and, and knows all the NBA and what's going on and all the news. Shams says the Lakers have expressed interest in Bradley Beal. Marv, your thoughts on a trade happening here? I think uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but. At the end of the day, the only way I could see it happening is if the Lakers trade Anthony Davis straight up for Bradley Beal. It's just I don't see the numbers working out. Uh, I think next offseason, based on what I'm hearing, is the cap is going to go down. So once the cap goes down, it's going to be hard to continue to add bigger contract players. And due to the NBA losing a lot of money, the cap is going to go definitely down by a lot. I think it's going to drop maybe $10 million, who knows, $20 million. And that, that's going to make it really hard for teams like L.A. to acquire a guy like a Bradley Bill. But these right now are just rumors about the cap, so who knows if that's going to happen. But if the cap stays the same, then I believe this, this, this deal can be done. Uh, the Lakers do have a few guys there that are like cap fillers that they can use, but they would have to get really creative with their draft pick compensation. And, um, it could be, it could, could be a deal that's done and that would make, uh, the Lakers a super team, which would make it really interesting if the Lakers, let's say, don't win the NBA title this year. They get Brad, Bradley Beal next year and, uh, win one last one for LeBron before he, decides to move on. Bradley Beal is one of the most underappreciated stars in the NBA. We just don't see him because he plays in Washington. Everybody wants to play with him. Everybody loves him. So, of course, the Lakers are interested. Marv, the analogy that I have for this is kind of like I'm interested in marrying a supermodel. I'm single right now. I'd love to be with supermodels, but I'm not. Okay? Like, is, is it possible? Sure. Maybe if a lightning strikes me and I get that lucky. It could happen, but it, there's no possibility that the Lakers can pull this off. They have no assets. They traded any assets that they had for Anthony Davis. They're not going to trade Anthony Davis. Kyle Kuzma is the best that they have. They're out of picks. It's a pipe dream. It's more than likely not going to happen unless Bradley Beal says, I will only play for the Lakers, kind of like Anthony Davis did. And then we have a whole new story. But he's set right now saying he wants to play for Washington. He wants to be the the loyalty guy. Uh, good for you, bro. You want to be loyal and lose games. That's a different story, but never going to happen. And last but not least, Marv, ESPN did a fantasy draft style where they took the draft order this year and the teams, and they basically made it, where do you want to start your franchise? One through 32, who's ever available? The whole league is available. You can pick. Your boy, uh, Drew Locke, he went 15, 16. I was surprised. Uh, were you surprised, or were there any other big takeaways you had from this? You know, I was surprised. Uh, I saw. I took a glance at that, uh, the first round, and I did see he was drafted 15th and two spots ahead of Kyler Murray, who was the first pick in the same draft. So that really surprised me how – a lot of these writers from ESPN are viewing Drew Locke and a lot of these mainstream guys. Uh, he's getting a lot of hype going into the season. From my understanding, it's looking like these guys are projecting 
what Drew Locke's going to become this season and possibly in the future. And so that's why they're choosing him so high. Would I have chosen Drew Locke with the 15th pick? Probably not. I have yet to look that far into the future and believe that's what he's going to turn into. Would I like him to be a star franchise player, top 15 player in the NFL? Oh, yeah, of course. But look, I'm a realist, and right now, Drew Locke has only played five games, so I'm going to hold my opinion until he plays a full season, and then I can um, go ahead and list him in the top 15, even top 32 players in the whole league. So to answer the question, I am very surprised that he was chosen in the 15th pick. I was surprised as well, but after breaking down the top 32 players based on value, based on future, I thought Drew Locke was the only thing that this ESPN draft got close to right. They had defensive ends going before franchise quarterbacks. The whole thing was a mess. So I decided to redo the draft. I wrote an article. It's going to be on Twitter. Actually, it is on Twitter. It is on uh, Medium. It is going to be on our social medias everywhere. Uh, So go ahead and check it out. I'm not going to talk about it now. Be an opportunity for you to go see how I fixed the draft. I think it's very interesting, the parameters that I used, but I thought it was interesting because I wrote it, Marv. So that's why (laughs) I tend to think I'm interesting. That is the (laughs) end of our show. We thank you all for listening. We are so excited that we are now outside the box score. Follow us on Twitter at JMOTB pod at MTOTB pod. Marv, do you have anything else for the folks? We appreciate you people. Uh, continue to keep sharing our, our podcast and giving those likes and giving us those great five-star reviews. And we'll continue to bring out the greatest uh podcast you can ever think of absolutely we're going to keep working hard we're going to keep looking to bring different perspectives and bring sports beyond the box score bring culture bring business bring a just very thoughtful approach to what we're doing here we're going to continue to do that and we appreciate your support and your feedback so have a great week everyone and we'll talk to you soon later people Hold up.